dead, buried, and risen again. And we celebrate this morning the idea that he has risen again. So I want to take you back to that day, and I want us to focus on something this morning that I think often when we talk about the story, we miss. And uh, it's a small little two-word, two little words in the scripture that I want to focus on this morning. But let me bring you up to speed first of all. Um, Jesus was crucified, we believe, on Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath, so on the Sabbath nothing could happen. Um, because of the coming Sabbath, they didn't want Jesus and the criminals hanging on the cross, so they, they, they tried to hasten their death. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So um, they were able to take the body down and get it very quickly into a sepulcher or a, or a tomb. And so they had done that, but they didn't have time to properly prepare the body. And there was a process of spices and things like that that they would use to, to kind of somewhat entomb a body, but they didn't have time to do that before Jesus got into the tomb. So on the Sabbath, they couldn't do anything. So early than on, on, on Sunday morning, which would have been the first day of the week, they head down to the tomb, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and a lady by the name of Salome. They all head down to anoint the body. The shops would have been open. They could have gotten whatever spices they needed. They're on their way very quickly to go and do that. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. And uh, they count, it's in, it's in the gospel accounts, but the one we're going to look at this morning is the gospel of Mark. So um, here's what it says, uh, Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Ma Mary the mother of James, um, and Salome brought some spices so that it might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They were in such a hurry to do this, they never even thought about the idea of, um, how are we going to get in? Uh, how are we going to get in there to do this? And they realized that uh, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which had been very large, had been rolled away. Now, at this point, there's nothing really to be... Um, I, I'm sure they thought, well, maybe somebody else got here before us. You know, maybe there's somebody else that we didn't know of that's, that's trying. Maybe Joseph, Arimathea, maybe somebody else. I don't know. But notice what it says. This is, they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You're not used to seeing live people in tombs. And so when they see somebody alive in here, it's kinda, it kind of takes them back for a minute. It's like, okay, now wait a minute. Um, it's, a white, it's a young man dressed in white. Uh, we believe it's an angel. But notice what happens. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. Um, um, some of the other accounts talk about the idea that the napkin was folded and, and placed there, and some of you have seen the thing run around the Internet about that, and, and, and truth or not, I don't know, doesn't matter. It's kind of cool. Uh, okay, now I'm getting strange looks. All right. Um, there's a deal right now that's kind of running around um, about the idea that they believe this. John tells us that the napkin, the head napkin, was folded, which is very significant. That devotes a whole verse to that. Um, some people believe that in biblical times, uh, when you ate a meal, when you were done with the meal, you would wad your napkin up and you would throw it on top of your plate. And that way the servers would know you're done. If you weren't done, if you were coming back to finish something, you would fold your napkin and put it on the plate. And so some people believe that the idea of the folded napkin is Jesus saying, don't worry, I'm coming back. 
Um, and that's the significance of the folded napkin. True or not, I don't know. It's a nice story. I like it. But, you know, you decide what you want with it. But it says, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. And now here's what I want to focus on this morning. He looks, he's sitting there and goes, see where they've laid him. He's not here. And John tells us that all, the, all of the stuff, all the, all the wrappings are there. And then notice what it says. But go, tell his disciples, what are the next two words? And Peter. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And Peter. Because you see, Peter is one of those who was one of the early disciples, who had followed Jesus faithfully for three years, who had been with Jesus through the thin and the thick of it. But Peter was struggling. Because you see, at one point, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And Peter's the one who jumped up and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's the one who Jesus looked at and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter went, no, 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 no. Everyone else can, but not me. Won't happen to me. Not me. Peter's the one who Jesus said, guys, I need you to watch and pray. And they couldn't do it. And they kept falling asleep. And so when Finally, at the last time, when, when, when all the soldiers are there and they come to take Jesus, Peter's the one who whacks off Malchus's ear, and Jesus has to fix his mess up. So Jesus has to heal his ear because Peter didn't listen to God, didn't listen to Christ. And Peter's the one who then, as they stood there and as they, at, at, at Gethsemane, all of the disciples, the Bible says, take off running. But we know from other accounts that a couple of them came back to see and watch, and one of them was Peter. And Peter's one of the ones who stood there by a fire, by a, by a coal of fire, a, 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 a fire of coals, is standing there, and some little girl comes up and goes, hey, you're one of his, aren't you? And he starts cussing and swearing and goes, not on your life. And the Bible is very, very specific that at one moment, the rooster crows in the morning after Peter's denied Jesus three times. And Jesus and Peter contact eyeball to eyeball. And Jesus looks over as he's going through everything and all the persecution and all the beating and all of this stuff. And he looks over and makes eyeball to eyeball contact with Peter. And Peter realizes what he has just done. And Peter watches as he dies on a cross. And he watches as they get him into a tomb. And he watches as he now has to go back and wrestle with, what have I done? What have I done? And Peter is the one now who I believe, when all the other disciples are together, Peter's the one sitting in a corner feeling like, I don't know what to do. I can't believe it. If I could undo it, if I could take it back, if I could do it over again, if I had another chance, I have blown it like nobody has ever blown it in the history of following Jesus. I can't believe I did that. And when the angel is sitting there, and the angel looks at, at these three ladies, and, and he tells them, he gives them a message. He says, I want you to go and tell the disciples, He is risen. And Peter. When you get there and you tell the disciples, you need to tell the disciples that I specifically told you to make sure... Peter knows, because I don't even know if Peter is with the disciples at this point. Peter is singled out, and that is very significant. 
And so in this story, as you see, he says, he said, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And so one of the things that, that, that I think you start to see is Peter here, I think, is overwhelmed with guilt. Peter's overwhelmed with, with being a failure, with all of the ways that he has failed God. But Jesus is very, very concerned for a relationship with Peter. And he wants so much to have that relationship with Peter. And so I want to throw two passages at you to, to help you understand something that I don't think we often understand in this story. One is in the Gospel of Luke. Um, put that one up, Cole. Um, it says Luke 24. Notice what it says. This is a story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. We know that after the resurrection, Jesus appears to Mary in the garden. He appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. And notice what happens. In that, in that discussion, Jesus is talking with them, and they don't know that it's Jesus until he breaks bread with them. And then they realize, this is Jesus who we've been talking to. But notice how the story goes. It says, when he was at a table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So these two men on the road to Emmaus, they had watched all this at the crucifixion. They had then walked away from it, and they're talking about it, and Jesus comes alongside, and he talks to them. And then when he breaks bread with them, they realize it's Jesus. And the second they realize it's Jesus, he's gone. So they make a hightail it back to Jerusalem now to tell the disciples what they have just seen. And notice what it says. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. They, 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 say, they say, Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen. And the, and the disciples look at him, and notice what the passage says. It is true. The Lord has arisen and has appeared to Simon. In other words, before Jesus meets with the eleven, he meets with Peter first. Notice what it goes on to say. Then the two told what had happened in the way and how Jesus was recognized when he broke bread with them. Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still, oh, that, that was the phrase thing. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stands among them and says, peace be unto you. While they're having this discussion, Jesus shows up. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, known as the great resurrection chapter in the Bible. Listen to what Paul says about this. For I received what I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Do you understand that after the resurrection, before Jesus meets with all of the disciples, before Jesus meets with the group of people who have won, he has a one-on-one -on -one with Peter. Why? Why? Because Jesus wanted Peter to know he understood and he would forgive him. And the resurrection is all about a new life. It is all about starting over. It is all about having hope. It is all about a future. And by the way, it's significant that Peter, when they tell them, originally, and they run to the tomb. John and Peter have a race, and John gets there first, but Peter runs into the tomb. 
It's significant that when they're fishing, we talked about this last week, and they're on the shore, and John looks at Peter and says, hey, it's the Lord over there on the shore 100 yards away. Peter's the one who jumps in the water and swims to him. Like I say, Peter and Jesus had figured this out and worked this out by by that time. Why? Because Jesus wanted to make sure Peter knew. Peter, yes, you failed me, but that doesn't have to be your future. I can forgive you. Resurrection is all about a new life. And Peter is afforded the opportunity to make everything right. And Peter does. And you know how I know Peter does? Because within two months of this event, at Pentecost, when they say we need somebody to preach and tell people about Jesus, Peter's the volunteer. And Peter, the Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, preaches and two or 3,000 people come to Christ on that day. The greatest revival in the New Testament is preached by Peter. Why? Because Peter understood the resurrection was all about getting another chance. Don't minimize the fact that Jesus is all about Getting you and me the opportunity to start anew. And Peter. I think there's a couple of lessons to learn. I think the first lesson is, Peter was trying to hide from God. I, th- I really do. I think Peter was a felt like a failure at this point. I think that's why that angel sitting in the tomb has to single Peter out. Go back and tell the disciples, and don't forget, tell Peter... I don't know if Peter wasn't with him. I don't know what the deal, but he wanted to make sure that Peter knew, Peter, it's okay. Because you see, here's the thing that Peter hadn't figured out yet. You can't hide from the love of God. You get that? You get the fact that God loves you and you can't hide from it? I mean, the fact that you're here this morning tells me that God loves you and cares about you. You go, well, no, 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 I just came for so-and-so. They promised me like a really good meal. Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. God brought you here this morning. Now, God used a great meal to get you here, but God used something to get you here. That's okay. That's all right. God used family to get you here. That's okay. God has you here this morning because he loves and cares about you. Just like he loved and cared about Peter, and he went, look, Peter, I don't want you to think that you, you, you can't have this. You can't participate in this, Peter. And, and Jesus reaches out to Peter. And by the way, that's the whole fish story that we talked about last week. And the next story in that is Jesus and Peter having a discussion by the fire about, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, at this point, realizes words are pretty hollow. I'd rather show you rather than tell you. And he does go out, and he does incredible things. History tells us that when Peter was, when Peter, when Peter was a martyr, historically, the Bible doesn't say this, but Peter was a martyr, and one of the ways that they were going to Martyr Peter was to crucify him. And at his crucifixion, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in a matter that my Savior was. Crucify me upside down. Peter's the same one who writes in the book of Peter about humble. Because Peter had learned some things from his experiences, and God used his failures to make him successful. And God took his past and said, I'm not going to define you by your past. I'm going to let your past influence your future to such a way that you realize I can use you, Peter. 
You're not done. Far from it. And I want you to understand this morning, that's the Easter story. The Easter story is you can't run from the love of God. The Easter story is that God reaches out to you and to me to offer us eternal life and salvation, but he will never, ever force it on you. He loves you. He offers salvation to you. But if you do not accept it on this side of death, then you have to face the judgment of God. Because on the other side of this world is a God of judgment. Whether you like it or not, that's what the Bible clearly teaches. So I did this last year, but I want to try to tweak it a little bit and do it a little bit differently because I started to realize that when you're in the back, you can't see as well as when you're in the front. So um, let me try to illustrate this for you because if you're like me, I'm, I'm a visual person. I've got to see stuff to, to, to do it. So let me try to illustrate this a little bit for you so that you understand exactly what this whole resurrection thing is all about. Um, all right, I'm going to let this represent us. I'm going to let this represent us. This is going to represent God. And when Jesus, when, when God created the world, here's the way God did it. He created the world absolutely perfect. This is God, so God is, as we know, perfect, holy, righteous. And when God created Adam and Eve, he created them the same way. So here we have original Garden of Eden, God, man, and perfect fellowship one with another. This is the world that God wanted. This is the world God designed. This is the world as God intended it to be. No sin, open, honest. Adam had Eve. They were married long before sin ever enters into the picture. It was a perfect world. And Satan comes along and he tempts man. And he says, look, God's keeping stuff from you. He doesn't want you to know some stuff, but if you will follow me instead of him, I'll show you all the stuff he's hiding from you. And at that point, man has a choice, and Adam and Eve, Eve is deceived, Adam chooses. Choose sin over God. And so at that moment in history, here is what happens. Because man chose sin, Man now becomes a sinner. This relationship can no longer exist. Why? Because God is holy and righteous, and God and sin are not a mix. So what happens is God has to take Adam and remove him from the garden, and the fellowship that they had is now broken. And God desires this to be fixed. And he realizes the only way to do that is something has to be done with sin. So God decides that he is going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And he who is pure and holy and righteous is going to come down to this earth and step into and live among sinners. And he is going to show man, this is how you live in this world. 
I'm going to show you what righteousness looks like. I'm going to show you what love looks like. I'm going to show you what godliness looks like. I am going to live in this world, but I am never going to sin. And Satan comes along and offers him, on a number of occasions, opportunity to sin. But the Bible says he does not sin. Now, here's the kicker. Because he does not sin, there's no reason he needs to die. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. We have death because of sin. And if there's no sin, doesn't need to die. But he chooses to willingly go to the cross. He chooses to willingly lay down his life. So Jesus meets with his disciples and says, watch and pray because the hour is come. He prays to God, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But if this is the only way, then your will be done, not mine. And Jesus goes to the cross and is tortured and is beaten and sheds his blood. And that's significant because here's why. Because what Jesus does at that moment, Hebrews says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So what Jesus does at that moment is Jesus takes on the sin of the world. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. And that's what he did. That's what the cross is all about. But the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The only way to deal with sin is with a blood sacrifice. So Jesus gives his life. He has to die a bloody death. And he does. That's why there is so much blood associated with the cross. That's why the crown of thorns. That's why the scourging. That's why the nails in his hands. Because the only way to deal with sin is with a blood sacrifice. And so Jesus sheds his blood on the cross for us taking care of the sin of all mankind. And to show that God has accepted this, God raises him from the dead and brings him and sets him on the right hand, or or sets him in heaven on the right hand of the Father as an acceptable sacrifice. Now here's the problem. Remember us? But if you'll notice, what do we have available to us? You see, when he became sin for us, his righteousness is now offered to us. And here's what he says. It's a gift. I'll offer it to you. I paid for your sin. I will give you my righteousness as a gift, but you have to accept it. You see, a gift offered is not a gift accepted. If I offer Todd 20 bucks, it's not Todd's until he takes it out of my hand. Just because I offered it doesn't mean it's his. And just because Jesus offers you salvation, eternal life, righteousness in him does not mean it's yours until you take it. 
And when you and I come to a point that we say, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I need a Savior and that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sin. And I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to be my Savior. Then at that moment, this is what happens. So now, when I have done that, guess what happens? Now, we have fellowship. The Bible goes so far as to say we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies. Ephesians says we are accepted in the beloved. Why? Because God is now accepted. When you hear us talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what we're talking about. This relationship starts here on this earth. And then when I die and I stand before God, God does not see me. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see a preacher. He sees a 16-year-old kid who put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ applied to my life. Not my good works. Not my baptism, not my church membership, not the fact that I went to church or gave people money to, when, when I went to church. It's not about any of that. All that stuff comes with it just because I want to serve and other people, but that's not the reason I do it. I don't do it for heaven. Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied to my heart and my life. This is what we're talking about. This is the Easter story. And Jesus comes to Peter reminding him of this. Because all Peter can see is his failure, is his sin, is how he failed Jesus. And Jesus comes back to him and goes, Peter, I want Peter, Peter, don't forget, man. This is what it's all about, buddy. This is how I see you, Peter. I can still use you. This is about our relationship, Peter. Don't miss that. My challenge to you today is every one of us sitting in here, either sits in here this way with the, righteousness, with, with the blood of Jesus Christ covering all of our sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ offered to us, but we still reject it. And here's the thing. God's love is going, come on, come on. Here, please. I, I've done everything. All you've got to do is say yes. All you've got to do is take it. Can you imagine me standing up here begging Todd to take 20 bucks? Please, Todd, please, please, Todd. I, I don't know what else here. Todd, can I put it in your, can I put it in your top pocket? Wait, come on, Todd. Dad. No, until he takes it, it's not his. And God loves you, and God over and over and over again says, please, please, please. He does all kinds of crazy things to get you to try to see this. He brought all kinds of people into your life offering you this. But you don't, you, you still say, no, 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 no. I think there's another way. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'll be okay on my own. I'm just going to clean up this black towel, and I'm going to stand before God, and maybe my good stuff will outweigh my bad stuff, and, and God will let me in. Really? You think a God of heaven who did this? Is just going to look at you and say, hey, no big deal, come on in. Really? You think a God who has gone to all of this effort is going to look at you and say, you know what, it's just no big deal. It doesn't matter to me. No. On the other side of this life, you face a God of judgment. 
On the other side of this life, you face a God who this is the only thing he will accept. That's why Jesus says, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one, no one gets to the Father but by me. And for those of you who think there is a better way or there's another way, here's my fear for you. My fear is that the minute you take your last breath, you stand before God like this. And the sad thing is, this, which was offered to you, you rejected. And you have given God no choice but to say, depart from me. I don't know you. The Easter story is about the fact that no one has to do that. But if you do that, if God has to do that, it's because you chose to reject His offer. You chose to not accept His offer of salvation. And I beg you, because He has done so much, to do this. And say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I need a Savior. But as best as I know how, I'm going to ask you to forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And establish that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it starts in this world. So when I die, when I take my last breath, whether it be tomorrow or 50 years from now. No, that'd be over 100. No. Um... (laughs) Whenever it is, whenever it is, this is the relationship I have with him now, and this is the relationship I have with him on the other side of the grave. Not because of me, but because of him. And it is our prayer, it is our desire, it is the most important thing in all the world to us, that you leave here today knowing you have this. Whoever brought you, brought you with the understanding that they want you to know about this. There is that little thing put out by Radio Bible Class, the Daily Bread thing, at the back of it, it talks about this. There are tracks out there, they talks about this. Why? Because this is a matter of life or death. There are many things in life you can be wrong about. But this is not one of them. This is the one decision that you cannot get wrong. And it is our prayer that you understand that. And if you choose to reject this, that is your choice. But on the other side of the grave, you also need to understand God now has no choice either. You have made that choice. It is our prayer that you understand you cannot run from the love of God. And for those of you who feel like you have failed, for those of you who feel like Peter, for those of you who feel like God can't use me, 
you have to understand that this is how God sees you. And that what you are doing is you are allowing Satan to win. And you know how Satan wins? Satan goes, hey, remember this? Remember this? Remember this, Peter? Remember this? And Jesus comes along and goes, no, 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 Peter. It's about this. It's okay. I love you. I've forgiven you. I'll use you, buddy. Just follow me. Just follow me. Don't get hung up on that. Just follow me. And Peter becomes this phenomenal example of somebody who God uses because he gets this. Because he gets it. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want you to understand, it's not that hard. Jesus made it simple enough that a thief hanging on the cross got to do it. And he never went to a church service, he never gave a dime, he never got to be bad, he never got anything happen other than putting his faith and trust in Christ. And Jesus said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, we've started this relationship. When I was a kid, I was 16 years old. I simply said, I realized that I was a sinner, that I needed a Savior. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to come into my heart and life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And at that moment, the righteousness of Christ was applied to my life, and I started this personal relationship with Christ. There are things in my life I regret. There are things that I wish I had a do-over with. That is not one of them. It was the greatest decision I ever made. And Jesus Christ, for some crazy reason, has looked at me and said, give me a chance and I'll use you. And I have watched him use me in spite of myself over and over and over again. And I would not trade that life for anything. I just want you to have that kind of life as well. We have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, I always, in a message like this, give people an opportunity because I know some of you are not from a church background. You don't, you, you don't know how to pray. You don't know what to... You, it's all new to you. I get it. I get it. It's just not that hard. So if you're here this morning and you want to put your faith and trust in Christ... And as you sit there, you realize that you're standing before God, and if you took your last breath, you would stand before God with your sin, not His righteousness. And you want to change that today. Would you pray with me in your heart as you sit right there, something like this. God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm sorry for the sins of my life. I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for me, and he died for my sin. And Lord, now I confess and ask you, Lord, to forgive my sin and to be my Savior. In this moment, I accept you, Lord, as my Savior, as my Lord. Use me. And uh, may I live for you, Lord, and not for myself. It's that simple a prayer.
Let's close in prayer. Father, for those this morning who struggle, who maybe this is all new, Lord, may this be the day that turns their life towards you instead of them. May you help them to realize this Easter story is all about them. It's all about you taking care of their sin. That, Lord, the Easter story is personal. It's about a relationship that you want with each one of us. And, Lord, in this resurrection story, you desired more than anything for Peter to understand it. And, Lord, I am so thankful for the example he set in following And Lord, for those this morning who think that you can't use them, would you help them to understand that all you need is a willing heart? And for those this morning, Lord, who think there might be another way, Lord, would you work in their heart to realize, help them to realize that you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Lord, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to stand at the graveside of a believer and wonder, will I see him again? And Lord, may we each have that assurance because of what you've done. And we thank you for this day and this season and the fact that we have a resurrected Savior. These things we ask in your name. Amen.